Welcome inside the world of Duotone. And joining me today in the studio, I have main board designer, Sky Skolbat. Sky, good afternoon, mate. Good afternoon. Good to talk to you, Joe. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us here on the show and, you know, kind of getting these podcasts up and running. One of the questions, Sky, that always come up, comes up with you is where where did you come from? Because I remember, for example, back in the day, you know, you suddenly appeared on the on the PKA in the days of Gastro with Jaime. You know, you, you guys have been there since the beginning. What made you get into uh, the kiting world? Uh, well, I, I grew up uh, windsurfing. So I think that was pretty much the, what, what led me into kite surfing. Um, my, my parents were, were windsurfers, uh, you know, in the eighties and nineties. And, uh, I grew up on a little Island in the Caribbean called Bonaire, which is a really windy place. My parents moved there when I was pretty young. So I, I started windsurfing at like the age of, I don't know, five or six and did that for a bunch of years until I was in my teens and competed here and there. Um, you know, not, not really on like a pro level, but I did some amateur contests and races and wave events and whatnot. And I kind of wanted to become a better windsurfer. My goal one day was to go to Hawaii and windsurf in Maui and, you know, follow that kind of path. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, kiting came along in like, I guess it would have been like 99. I kind of first saw it. And, um, actually, so I used to spend summers in the gorge in Hood River area when I was, when I was a kid. And so my dad and I saw Lou Wayman and Elliot LeBeau kiting in the gorge. And I think it was 99, 98, 99. And wow. that kind of piqued our, piqued our interest. <laughs> and, uh, I actually remember Lou Wayman just coming through, um, like doing a downwinder and just doing this big carve in the flat water in front of us. And, and that was the moment where I was like, Whoa, that was like, it's something like it's something struck a chord. When I, when I just saw him do this big carve on a little twin tip, he was riding. I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. That, that's pretty amazing to be able to ride such a tiny little board. And it was pretty light wind. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, immediately really interested. Um, but it was still like another year before I was able to actually try kiting. Um, so yeah, I mean, long story short, my, my dad and I started kiting together in like 2000 and, uh, and yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. I did my first event in 2001, I think. And that was in St. Martin. And that's, uh, that's where I met Andre Phillip actually for the first time. I think it was his first event as well. And he and I ended up placing, he ended up beating me in the final. <laughs> he got first, I got second. And, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we both went on to, you know, do our separate things, but, you know, we both went on to compete and do the peak area tour. And, um, yeah, I met Jaime in like 2003, 2002, I guess. And I, and I would have met you in those early days as well on the tour. And, um, yeah, I mean, I became good friends and then we ended up down the road working together later at, at boards and more or what, what was North kiteboarding at the time. Yeah. I, re- I remember you guys there. I have to admit, one of the things I remember was the Germany event where you took the win over Jaime. That must've been a good one. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a fun rivalry. <laughs> um, I think any other day he probably would have beat me, but he was, um, 
doing the typical Jaime thing and just going all out. And if he would have <laughs> landed any of his moves, he would have beaten me. But I was I was making sure not to fall and he was falling on every trick and I ended up beating him in the final. It must be really nice to have uh, kind of been part of the, you know, one of the main parts of the history of the sport. I, like you just said there, you know, the first person you saw was Lou Wyman, who, you know, he's a, a legend in himself. And then to, you know, you guys kind of created together with Martin Barry, Will James, yourself, Jaime, Andre, you guys kind of set the trend and, and let's say set the first stones of the path for this sport that we love today. Yeah, it's funny to think about it that way because when I showed up on the scene, you know, I kind of felt like I was late to the scene in a way at the, at the time, you know, because there were already people that were really well established, like, like Lou Wayman and Elliot and Flash Austin and Robbie Nash and, you know, all these crew of guys, the Pete Cabrina and, you know, I'm probably missing a bunch of names here, but all those guys had already been doing it for years. And so I kind of felt like I was the young newbie kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's just the way it goes with these sports. Like, you know, guys that are just showing up now on the scene, you know, feel like they're, you know, they're missing a lot of the history, but in, you know, 10 or 20 years from now, they're going to be looked at as the pioneers of what has become the new sport or the new generation or whatever. So it's, um, yeah, it's funny to look back now and think that I, you know, I, I guess in a lot of people's eyes these days, I would be I would be considered one of the early pioneers, which which is funny to think. Yeah, it, it is. In the end, it's the it's the totem pole. Hey? It's it's you know one one generations to an X and then to the other, and it, it's really cool to see. I think also people still involved who have that kind of experience, like even you know the likes of, for example, Liam Whaley or Mika, and you see them, you know, eighteen, nineteen. Liam's I think twenty four now. How how much younger the the top competition competition riders have got yeah yeah it's amazing yeah for sure yeah i mean when i started kiteboarding i was 18 and you know i was considered to be you know really like i was i remember when i was like the youngest one of the youngest riders on tour mm-hmm. and um you know you look at some and then aaron came along of course and then he was way younger than <laughs> yeah. he, we wouldn't even let him compete until he was 14 i think or maybe that rule came in later i don't know but yeah he was chomping at the bit to be able to compete on tour and he was only like 12 or something and um yeah it's just it's crazy how how much younger the competitors have gotten like guys that are now 18 have already been in it for a few years and they're at the top of their game and uh and i mean that's that's kind of what it takes these days with the level of freestyle and Absolutely. All the stuff these guys are doing. It's yeah, you kinda gotta be <laughs> young and fit and ready to take a beat. Yeah, you can can bounce bounce and roll. Bounce and roll. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Rubber bones still. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Sky, one of the things I always I always remember with you, you jumped on a strapless surfboard or strapped in surfboard from the early, early days. I have memories of you in in the Kawipi Lagoon in Brazil when you guys were competing on a on a skimboard or on a strapless surfboard. Did you know, did that really appeal to you from such an early age? Um, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I grew up windsurfing and surfing. And so my first kiteboard ever actually the first time i ever kited we, we borrowed a, a kite from a friend and we didn't have a board to use so i went home and my dad and i grabbed one of my smallest shortboard surfboards and we put carbon on the deck and we put footstrap inserts and that became my first kiteboard so i started the very first time on a surfboard and then i i actually rode and i guess and then i sort of transitioned to a twin tip for a while mm-hmm. because that was mm-hmm. you know what everyone was riding at the time and then there was a period when we were doing big air like in the it's like 2002, 2003, um, with Mark Shin and kind of the, the mutant style of boards. 
Yeah, the board offs, board offs. Yeah, board offs. Yeah, doing huge board offs. And so we sort of transitioned back to a board that was more like a surfboard during that time. And then it kind of went the other way from there and went like pure wake style. And then so, I don't know, I was just kind of bouncing back and forth between riding a surfboard and riding a twin tip, um, depending on, you know, what was what was in fashion at the time for competition. I mean, in, in those days, you know, for freestyle competitions, it was all about twin tips. So we ended up riding twin tips and then... I guess when I started, I, I always traveled with a surfboard, like even mm-hmm. like you said in those early days, going to Brazil and stuff. Everyone was focused on the flat water, but um, you know those little those beach breaks in Brazil and Cambuco are so fun on a surfboard. So yeah, on the days off from competition or training or whatever, I'd go ride a surfboard and go have fun in the waves. So I always kind of had that in my in my back pocket, and it was always something I really enjoyed doing in my free time. And then, um, yeah, and then when I sort of stopped competing and stopped being so involved in the twin tip stuff, I just, yeah, went fully transitioned back to the surfboard. And I've kind of been on a surfboard ever since. Because there was, how long ago was it, um, Sky? Because I remember you used to live in Margaret River in Australia for a long time. Yeah, we um, we started sort of like chasing the wind there for testing in the wintertime in 2005. No, maybe 2006, I think we, we first went there. And yeah, we ended up spending summers there. Like we spent the Australian summers from 2006 to 2013, actually. It was like, whatever that is, almost seven years, I think we were there. Um, and just seasonally, like we would just go for three months a year or whatever in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was a, the, the way that we ended up there was um, Ken Winter and I and Jaime um, in the early days, we, we went there to, to basically get out of Hawaii in the wintertime because there were these big spells of no wind in the wintertime. So we went there basically to chase the wind for testing and then ended up figuring out it was a really good windy spot and great to test. And, and we were able to sort of do stuff away from, from the public eye at the time. Of course. We were, on, uh, we were working on like the first rebel and, you know, kite that we didn't want anyone to see at the time. And um, yeah, it was just a great escape to be able to go there and find lots of wind and spend a lot of time on the beach testing. In the middle of nowhere, mate. Yeah, we we're out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, in the middle of WA. Yeah, um, out in Western Australia. <laughs> you, know, you, can, like, <laughs> you can definitely escape and find you know huge beaches with no footprints on them and get away from everyone. And um, yeah, it was an amazing place to test. And and that's really where I guess I um, really got into riding a surfboard and riding a strapless surfboard. And Jaime and I were working on a bunch of different shapes um, mm-hmm. and sort of trying to push the the strapless freestyle thing and Jaime was really involved in, in uh, developing one of those early boards called the freestyle fish. Ah, yeah. I remember that once the, the, the square nose and, and fluorescent pink, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was, that was his baby. And, um, and I mean, looking back now, it was pretty ahead of its time actually, because a lot of the boards ended up sort of going that way, shorter snub nose. True that. So yeah, Jaime was ahead of the curve on that one for sure. So obviously, Sky, you you've come from a big uh, competition background, but one of the things that just stood out there said that the first board you ever rode, your dad actually, you guys obviously had a little board factory or something because you put carbon on the top. Was that one of the reasons that made you transition into testing R and D and development? Um, yeah, I mean, when I first started riding, I, I started, you know, I was good friends with Jaime, and Jaime was really involved in the development of the kites together with Ken Winter, our kite designer. And so I just sort of naturally, you know, was just with those guys, and I just started testing right away as soon as I started riding. 
And we were working on, I think the Vegas at the time was like the new hot kite in 2005 mm-hmm. and the, the Vegas and the Rhino. So we started working on those kites and um, yeah, I just sort of fell into the, the whole R&D testing world with those guys and then ended up working on Twin Tips together with Till, who's our, our CEO of Bordsamore. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just got I just got really involved in the development of everything. And so I was sort of competing as a team rider and doing all the development together with those guys. And then it just kind of went from there. Kind of transitioned in because now, Sky, exactly, you are mainly in charge of all of the surfboards for Duotone, correct? Yeah, I mean, I started working on surfboards in about 2007, I guess, 2006, 2007. Started sort of playing around with some shapes. And then I ended up taking over the... So I was working together with an Australian shaper at the time named Martin Littlewood. And we developed a bunch of boards together, the, the contact and the one of the early whams and the freestyle fish together with Jaime we did all those boards with with uh, Marty and then in 2010 I ended up taking over all the surfboard development and 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 doing all the shapes and for you as a shaper one of the one of the questions that always comes up is what is an iconic shape for you what is that that magic one that you no matter how many years go by you always like (laughs) um that's an interesting question because uh, I mean, normally my favorite board is is the one that I've most recently worked on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always trying to just improve and sort of push what what you know push what's possible. Um, I mean, there's been a few over the years. I mean, I mentioned the freestyle fish. I think at the time that was that was pretty forward thinking um, when when we were working on that board together. That was sort of absolutely. Um, yeah, our attempt to sort of push the strapless freestyle thing in small waves. And um, it took a while for that. That idea sort of came around and then went away and then came back again. And and now it's back in full force, you know, especially with the tour and everything that, that you guys are doing. Um, so, yeah, I think the, you know, the freestyle fish definitely stands out. Um, you know, the, the wham, even though it's, you know, it's a pretty traditional sort of squash tail pointed nose surfboard, but it's uh you know just a really universal design that works in all kinds of conditions and we've you know over the years we've been able to fine-tune that board so much and trim trim off all the unnecessary parts and bring it down to really like the most high performance um board that sort of works in all conditions so the wham is always a standout i think every year we just try and and tweak it and make it you know as good a high performance board as it can possibly be and that's sort of always the board that pushes the envelope um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, we have so many boards. The fish recently has been a really big one. That's a board we worked on. Such a nice board. Such a nice board. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. I mean, we, that board has been kind of like every board we have is sort of a, an ongoing development. So the, the mm-hmm. fish board, I mean, fish actually, we started developing it like four years ago, I would say it, it's actually a board that I started working on together with Sebastian Ribeiro in, in Maui. He came here. For a, for a trip to work on some boards with me in 2017, I think. And at the time, we were calling it a nugget. We were trying to sort of revive the, the old nugget shape and, and bring back like a new small wave sort of strapless freestyle board. And we ended up not releasing it at the time because it didn't quite fit into the range and we weren't sure where it was gonna where it was going to fit in. And then over the next couple of seasons, Heine actually came out for a trip to Maui and then we 
that's when we sort of made the first fish. I sort of redesigned it a little bit and took some elements of that nugget that I worked on with Sebastian and put it into a fish shape. And then it sort of went from there and then we developed it into the fish. And then that's is what, what now has become the, the pro fish. It must be really hard for you to already have something that you know that works and how to how to improve it. Because, you know, you might have that board and you say, oh, this thing, you know, this rocks. This is, you know, for example, the fish, you really like it, works perfectly in the small conditions, really easy to use, super popular. How do you go by taking it apart and saying, okay, we're going to make this better. Is, is it just a constant improvement? Is it back and forward? I always, I always wonder how that works on all different parts of the R&D. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's, it, I kind of wonder how that works sometimes myself. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, when you make a good board or a good kite or a good, you know, you have a good product, it, it doesn't stop being a good product. You know, like if, if you have, if I make a, a, an amazing, uh, you know, fish shape, it's always going to be a good board. You know, you, five years from now, you could ride that board and go, oh, wow, that's that's a really good board. But I think it just comes from, like, it pretty much just comes down to testing and riding and spending a lot of time on the water. So you, know, you have a, a board that's really good and you think you can't possibly make it better. And then, you know, you ride it, you know, 20, 30, 50 times. And then over the course of, you know, a number of sessions, you start to feel like, okay, well, maybe it could do this thing better, or maybe it could hold a little bit better in the bottom turn in this certain situation, or it could, you know, turn a little tighter off the top or release the fins a little better. And you start to sort of, you know, just, I, I guess it just comes from riding and searching for a new sensation or a new feeling or something that you think it could possibly do better. And then you just sort of go about picking it apart and you know making a few prototypes and figuring out okay if i change this element of the board it makes makes it behave this way and you just sort of sort of start to formulate an idea in your head of how you can improve it and then um yeah it just, it just takes a lot of time and a lot of testing basically it's it's not really at the end of the day it's not really like rocket science it's not um you know anything super technical there's not any one thing i could pinpoint that I could say this is why we do it, but it's just it's just searching for a new feeling or a new sensation and, and then going about trying to trying to prototype and, and get there. Absolutely. And would you say um, surfboard shapes have changed over the last years? Like imagine, you know, the days of Big Wednesday and Jerry Lopez, the lightning bolt surfboards to retro fishes back back in the 70s or the 60s to what we see today. Do you think that that the shapes have changed a lot? Um, I mean, yeah, the shapes have changed a lot. I think, um, you know, like I said, the, those boards, like it's, it's funny now cause there's sort of a movement of people going back and riding retro boards and true, um, true. A, a lot of it with surfboards and with anything, I mean, you could say that for kites too, it's, it's more like the sensation and the, the feeling you get when you ride it. So it's, it's just a different approach. I think like some of those older boards or, are, are you know, more, I think the style of surfing has also changed, you know, like, like back in the day, maybe it was more like trimming, like high trimming on the wave and doing big open face turns and everything was sort of like more drawn out and smoother and wider arcs. And, you know, now, you know, just the performance of surfing has changed where, where guys are just turning square off the bottom and going straight up the lip and doing like square turns up the top and throwing the fins free. And so, you know, the, the, the designs have just evolved to, to adapt to that sort of surfing. And so um, it's not that one is better than the other. They're just different. And depending on, on the type of surfing you want to do, you know, that the design has to 
has to adapt to the to the style of surfing. Yeah, I think like you say, the 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 riders as well. It's it's gone from the Jerry, you know, kind of Jerry Lopez cruising and carving to you know like the gabriel medinas that and also on the kiting side you see the likes of you know newly crowned world champ uh, james carew or sebastian rubedos they are literally tearing the wave apart and they need boards that can allow them to do so yeah it's amazing and to get feedback from those guys is is so amazing too you know like they'll they were in touch with, with me, you know, in, in Morocco, giving me feedback on how the fish was working there because they noticed all those guys were, were riding the fish. And pretty much said, all of them. Pretty much all of them were on the fish. Yeah, which was surprising because normally that's not a board they would they would use in competition. Um, so I was surprised. So I messaged the guys and I was like, hey, I see you guys are riding the fish. What's going on? And they're just like, <laughs> yeah, this board's perfect, like just for the light wind and, and the the steepness of that wave, like the curve and everything that the fish was just fitting perfectly in the curve of the wave and giving him lots of speed and projection. And they, you know, they, they said the board was just working perfectly. It was perfectly suited to that style of wave. Um, and those guys are just so tuned into their gear because they spend so much time riding the same gear over and over and over session after session. And, and they can feel the slightest little change in their, in their board or their kite. And mm-hmm. so to get feedback from riders that are that tuned in is just amazing. So, you know, they'll, they'll feel things that no one else is feeling and, and we're able to sort of tweak and tune the gear. And um, if those guys are happy with it, it's, you know, we've, we've, hit, the, we've hit the mark. <laughs> Definitely going in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And because obviously there's there's a few new constructions. One of the things we're seeing with a lot of the brands all on surfboards, uh, twin tips and kites is designs aren't changing so much, but the the sourcing of new materials, new constructions, you know, they're trying to make the boards lighter but stronger with different flat flex patterns. There's two things that have come up in Duotone in the past years, which is the SLS surfboards and the D-Lab surfboards. Can you tell us a little bit about those yeah so i mean that's a quest we've been on for quite a while with the surfboard construction um you know we started doing the bamboo uh, sandwich construction in like 2015 or something and then that sort of led us into doing uh what we called the pro construction at the time which was um just you know it all all of those were just attempts to try and you know make the boards as light as possible while making them as strong as possible and still having flex, which is like an incredibly difficult thing to do. It's kind of like the holy grail of surfboard construction to find something that's light and strong and feels good. It's the million dollar question. Yeah, it's a really difficult thing to achieve. So it's something that we've been working on for many years now. And, um, you know, we've released the SLS construction. So the SLS construction was a development, a further development of the pro construction. And the difference with the SLS construction was that we started using uh, Inegra cloth um, to replace a lot of the fiberglass cloth in the board. And what that did was make the boards lighter and give them like the the Inegra is a much more it's a much softer material than fiberglass. So it's not as brittle. Um, So it does a few different things. First of all, it doesn't ding as easily because it has much more give. It sort of. it doesn't splinter and fracture as, as easily mm-hmm. as, as a fiberglass board. Um, and then it also gives like a natural damping effect to the board. So it takes out all those little, you know, uh, high frequency vibrations when you're going over chop and just makes the board feel more settled and just sort of softer in the water. Um, but it also makes the board lighter because we're able to reduce a lot of the fiberglass and 
and add this in cloth, which doesn't soak up as much resin as fiberglass. So that was really eye-opening when we did the SLS construction because we kind of hit all of those three points. <laughs> we were able to make the boards less, uh, you know, more durable, so more ding resistant. We were able to make them lighter and we were able to make them stronger. All, all you know, three boards with one stone. So <laughs> that was a huge <laughs> step forward for, from the pro construction. So, um, yeah, that was, a, that was a really big step. And then in the meantime... We, before we had even done the SLS construction, we were already working on what we now call the D-Lab construction, which um, basically involves laminating a three millimeter um, foam insert into the deck. And it was a construction that our product manager, Manuel, was working on for, I think, four years. Like I remember getting prototypes from him with this stuff in like 2018, maybe. He brought some to Maui. Mm-hmm. And we loved it. It was really great. It felt amazing on the water, but the problem was that the deck would start cracking after a while because it would just the the fiberglass over the top of this foam was just too too brittle. So the boards would sort of break down, and and we just didn't feel like it was anything that we could put into production because we we would for sure get issues with it. Um, and so it wasn't until the development of the SLS construction with the integral cloth that it became possible to, to make the D-Lab construction because that was really the, the missing link that, that we needed was that, that softer give of the Inegra material over the top of this foam to allow it to work. And um, so, yeah, so this year we were finally able to launch the D-Lab construction, which is basically just like the SLS construction. Um, except that instead of the cork uh, insert on the deck, we have this foam insert on the deck. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing construction. It feels really settled in the water, like really um, sort of takes out all the vibration, doesn't feel hard or harsh in any way. But the boards are really light because the, the foam doesn't absorb a lot of resin. Um, and we're able to really control how much resin it, it absorbs. Um, and yeah, the boards are really strong where they actually have quite a bit of lamination on them. So they're really strong. They're really settled, really nice and flexible in the water. And, and they just feel amazing. It looks like they're going down very well because, you know, the likes of, for example, Ayrton and James, who are pushing the, the big air side of um, strapless surfboards. Now, the, f- the amount of force that they come down on top of those boards, it, there's always a, a big question that goes that gets thrown around. There is a point where a board is going to break no matter what you do, what you do on it. And also, I think it's important as well because, you know, that you can always, you know, throw a load of uh, laminations or stuff on it, but you will actually, people will start to get injured. We've we've had it in twin tips where you had those unbreakable boards, but then everybody started tearing their, their ACLs. I think there must be a, a middle point where if you are pushing the limits, the limits are going to push yeah, back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a fine line there. I mean, there's a, there's a definite line there <laughs> where, you know, the boards need to be strong enough to withstand the landings that those guys are doing but at a certain point um yeah and we're, we've reached that point now with those guys because they're they're breaking boards you know um but if you look at the stuff they're doing they're coming down so hard and so fast and at some point it's either they're like you said their knees breaking or the board breaking and so absolutely we're kind of right on that limit of like okay we're gonna we're gonna make sure the board breaks before they break <laughs> pretty much um, and we've been going round and round with, with James and Ayrton particularly because those guys are just insane the way that they land. They go, you know, 50 feet in the air and come down with no kite power and just boom. Yep. And 
um, yeah, we found that if we made the boards too stiff and unbreakable, that those guys start complaining that, that they're getting injured. And so, yeah, we're trying to just find that balance of, of where we can make the board strong enough to withstand most of what they're doing. Uh, but at a certain point, the board's going to have to give. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I always think it's, you know, it's a necessary thing because if not, you know, there won't be any riders by the end of the season, Sky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't want to lose those guys. <laughs> we need those guys to stay back. We need Ayrton and James to keep their ACLs in one piece. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, that being said, we are working on on some constructions with those guys and trying to find ways to make the boards strong enough to withstand what they're doing and um, and not kill those guys in the process. So it's an ongoing development. And I think, you know, like we talked about before, the boards have to adapt to the style of riding. So I think as as we go forward and those guys keep pushing the limits on the riding side, we're going to keep pushing the limits on the construction side and just see what's possible. Definitely. I think one of, one of the really impressive things with, with kiting or especially with Duotone is that the riders are actually using the boards that anybody can just go into a, a shop and take them off the rack. I think that's super important. Yeah, that's actually been a, a key thing for us is we, we don't want our riders to have to go get custom boards. So, um, I, I mean, maybe some people are under the impression that they do ride custom boards, but they're riding full stock production, everything, heights, boards, everything. Um, so that was really important for us from a development standpoint is, you know, like what, what if if our own riders are not riding our production gear then what are we doing <laughs> like, absolutely we need, absolutely we need to and that really was the idea behind the what you know the pro construction and then what became the sls and now the d lab is just our construction and our boards adapting to to the riding style and making you know keeping pace with what the guys are doing at the highest level yeah, and I think it, you know, for your, you know, the weekend warriors, your your average shows, which in the end are, you know, they are the customers, the people that keep this sport alive. You know, without them, this, you know, the whole circle doesn't come back. I think it's super important. And also, it enables them to kind of have their heroes and say, wow, you know, Ayrton or James or yeah, Mika or whoever has just look at the turn that they're doing or look at the handle pass or the big air landing or whatever has done on the same board or the same kite or same bar that i have on my feet or in my hands yeah absolutely yeah that's amazing yeah i mean it's not that's not often in any sport that you can you know it, it'd be pretty tough to be able to go in and say i want the exact same board that kelly slater's riding <laughs> and uh, you know be able to have, a, have the exact same equipment under your feet is pretty special sky because also obviously you know there's the uh, the other half of it is that also kite designs in themselves have evolved so much in the last 10 years i mean I remember, for example, back in the days when, you know, you had double front tube, 21 and a half meter kites, and now they probably have the same amount of power of, a, you know, a 12 meter or, or some of the smaller sizes because they move better, they have better constructions, etc. You, for example, are very uh, involved in the design of the Neo, which is the, the wave kite, so to speak, for Duotone. Yeah, the, the Neo is the kite we've been working on since, um, well, Ken Winner and I, uh, so Ken took over the design of the Neo in 2015, I think. And before that, our other designer, uh, Ralph Brussel, was doing it in, in Germany. Um, so from about 2015 or 2016 on, uh, we started developing that kite here in Maui. And we developed it to be, you know, a full-on hardcore wave kite like that. We decided from the beginning that that was going to be the focus of the Neo was to really cater to the specific needs of, of wave riders. And so, yeah, we've just put 
you know, <laughs> so much work into that kite over the past five or six years, just making it the dedicated um, wave kite. And um, yeah, it's a really universal kite that you can actually use for jumping and, and wave riding. But really, you know, when, when we started developing that kite, we just, we pretty much made a checklist of like all the things that a wave kite needs to do. It needs to have a lot of power and grunt so you can ride as small a kite as possible. Um, because riding a small kite, you know, is going to make the kite turn quicker. We're going to be able to ride as small a kite as you possibly can. So you have quick turning and you can put it in the positions you want to on the wave. We wanted it to have, you know, amazing drift and we wanted it to be strong and durable and be able to get rolled on the surf. And so that's, you know, that's the idea behind the three strap design. Um, yeah. And it's just a, a kite that we've pushed and pushed over the past six years. And it's at a level now where I think it's such a fine tuned machine that, um, you know, I think anyone can jump on that kite and, and immediately feel that it's, you know, a really easy, really comfortable, really high performance kite that sort of um, just intuitively goes goes where you want it to go. <laughs> yeah, I, f- I think it's really the, the full package because, I mean, as a designer, one of your main goals, obviously, is for sure for the pros to be able to win championships, also for the average Joe to come off the water with a smile. But then there's also that so that newcomers into the sport can enjoy themselves from day one. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the sign of any good um, product, whether you're talking about a kite or a board or whatever, is something that anyone, whether you're a pro rider or, or sort of a newbie rider, can jump on and immediately feel comfortable. You know, a kite, a kite that intuitively kind of goes and does what you want it to do is probably a pretty good kite. <laughs> you know? So if anyone can jump on it and immediately feel like, oh, wow, this kite has great feedback. It has, you know, it's really balanced in the way that it turns and sheets and, you know, um, it just sort of, if I turn my head and I want it to go there, it goes there. And, you know, so I think at a really basic level, if it's an easy kite to ride, that that's a really good sign that, that it's a good kite. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, and then, you know, at the highest level, of course, these guys riding waves and doing big air, they, they have their own specific needs, like Ayrton and James now doing these massive loops and <laughs> um, needing the kite <laughs> to climb up above them so they don't wreck their, their knees on the landing. Um, all those things come into play as well at the highest level. But um, yeah, I mean, I think if a kite is easy to ride, that, that's a great sign. Yeah, also like on, on boards and kites as well is that all sizes have a similar DNA and feel. Like for example, if you go on the smallest wham to the biggest wham that you know that you can feel the similarity because one of the things that i i've always had people ask on the beach or or in the shops is you know what is the difference in sizes of boards could, could you break it down for us you know what kind of where it lays out what things you need to look for to kind of decide on the size of your board um well i mean in kiting we're sort of in the unique position with boards that you can kind of ride anything so no matter what your weight True. you know if you're 200 pounds you could ride a tiny little board um, and, and get away with it. Um, because you have the power of the kite, you don't need, you don't need the volume for paddling like you do in, in surfing. And so it, it's kind of, it can be a little bit confusing, I think, to people like, cause you can ride anything like, so what should you ride? And really what it comes down to is a lot of it just comes down to volume and kind of a, a combination of volume and surface area, because volume is not quite as important in kiting as it is in surfing because you don't have to paddle. So some more of it comes down to sort of surface area, but an easy way to simplify it is to look at the volume. That's a, that's an easy number to nail. So, um, 
Yes, yeah, so it kind of gets confusing now because we have boards that are, you know, we have a 511 Wham, which is, you know, 28 liters. And then we have a 55 Whip, which is also 28 liters. So, you know, it's a way shorter board, but it has the same amount of volume. So that's where it can get a little confusing for people. So if you just look at the volume number and you sort of start to dial in, it, it's good to try a few different boards if you have the possibility to. Um, and on our, on our website, I think we make it pretty easy to be able to look at what volume is recommended for, for what size rider. Um, but if you get the chance to, you know, ride boards that are sort of in that volume range that, that we recommend and just figure out what feels best for you, that's, that's the easiest guide, I think, to, to be able to choose the right board. So for myself, I'm about 200 pounds, which is about, I guess, like 90 kilos. And I pretty much ride the biggest board in our range. So I ride the 511 Wham or the 55 Whip or the 55 Fish, which is all about, you know, 28 to 30 liters. That's in, in that sort of range. Um, so I'm kind of sort of on the bigger end of the spectrum, I guess, as far mm -hmm. as weight. Um, but yeah, I think the volume numbers is the easiest one to track. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And Sky, for you, what would be the um, the perfect setup? You know, if, if you could choose a day with the boys, with Jaime or, or with any every, any of the friends on Maui, what would be the perfect setup for you board-wise, kite-wise? Obviously, beers at the end of the session is a must. That's a must, yeah. Um, I mean, my favorite days still are when it's, you know, big waves and cranking wind. That's, you know, especially with all the sports we're doing now, I get, you know, people ask me that a lot. Like, oh, do you, like, cause I, I go winging quite a bit now. We're testing a lot of wings and hydrofoils and all that stuff. And, and I, I love the variety of being able to do all these sports and summertime in Maui now has been really fun because we have wings and we can go out when there's no waves and we can do downwinders and, and the variety of doing all that stuff is, is incredible these days. Um, but if I had to pick one, you know, type of condition and set up, it would definitely be a big, you know, big North swell day here in Maui with, you know, 15 to 20 foot waves and 25 to 30 knots. I could be on a seven or eight meter Neo and a board like the Wham or the Session, something that's, that's kind of tailored more towards bigger waves and just big, windy, powerful down the line conditions. That's, that's my favorite conditions in the world. Those are the days that I wait for and live for. And when those conditions line up, I drop everything and I'm at the beach all day kiting. <laughs> that's that's all I want to be doing. Yeah, I mean, it must be really nice to be able to, you know, call your, your job or your livelihood, you know, your passion as well, to be able to, you know, put your little grain of sand inside of the industry and to be able to test out so many different things and try and, you know, push the sport in a way that you see. Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, these days we have so many different products we're working on and with all the new constructions and everything, we have, we have I think, more development going on now than, than we've ever had we have more projects in you know more bricks in the oven right now than i think we've ever had in the past almost 20 years that i've been doing this so it's a really exciting time i think with with all the development of not only the new sports but all the new materials and everything that we're working with so it's a really fun and exciting time to be doing this yeah and it, it looks like i i saw on the gram i saw your little one is getting into surfboard so it looks like you're gonna have to start to make some small small boards hey eh? <laughs> yeah that's coming soon yeah yeah He's, he's only two years old now, so it'll be it'll still be maybe a, a year or two before I'm ready to shape his first board, but it's coming. <laughs> yeah, it must be really nice to see, uh, you know, your, your little kid getting in the water and enjoying it and having that smile. It must be pretty special. It's amazing. It's it's really amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, um, yeah, it's 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 different. It's funny being a parent, you know, going from <laughs> just being, 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 being able to do whatever you want to do every day and then, um, 
suddenly you have a little guy around you're like wow this is like the next generation this is the next uh <laughs> you know life changes a little bit for sure you know i don't quite get to spend as much time on the beach you know doing whatever i want to do every day but being being able to take him to the beach and see the smile on his face when he gets in the water is pretty pretty damn amazing ah, that's awesome sky well sky thank you very much for joining us here on inside the world of duotone that's really cool to catch up and i really hope to see you sometime sometime soon we'll call it warm and we'll call it with a six pack of beers please yes absolutely yeah hopefully next summer in tarifa maybe or uh yeah we'll, we'll see what happens with with all the craziness going on in the world but <laughs> hopefully we'll be able to get out soon absolutely well take care sky and thank you everybody for joining in here on inside the world of duotone with board shaper and product designer sky skull back until the next one yeah.